ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. היי, וולקאם באק, you made it to another episode of bad Jew. And with me today is Ted Ryder. And we're here to talk about the fact that there's no such thing as a bad Jew. We're here to talk about the fact that you're listening to this show. You chose our show out of the millions of podcasts that exist out there currently. And I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for taking your Jewish studies with us and our diverse cast of guests. It's always really exciting. Ted, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, bro? I'm great, Chaz. Thanks. Uh, by the way, I don't even know where bro came from. I typically never call my guests bro or bra, but <laughs> that just came out. So we're Bill is bro, not bra. Hey, so you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, bro, right of entry onto this podcast is the Bad Jew Challenge, where you have to tell your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. My story in four minutes. I was born... and raised in Texas, grew up in a small town, College Station, which is Texas A&M, is located there. We had 40 Jewish families. I would bet 39 probably had PhDs. They're all working at the university. And then, of course, you know, one guy who owned the dry goods store. And I, I grew up there until I was 12. And the, the important Jewish part of this, I think, is that my parents recognized that If they were going to raise me with any kind of Jewish identity, they had to be involved. And so they were super involved in our tiny little Jewish community. They were each president of the synagogue at some point. Um, went to summer camp. That's really what, what really established my Jewish identity, Jewish summer camp in Bruceville, Texas, Green Family Camp. And uh, moved to the big town of El Paso, Texas when I was 12, where all of a sudden there were other Jews in my school, where before it had just been my sister. She was the only other Jewish kid in the school. And so learned what life was like kind of in, in the big city. But it was also at that time in my teens that I was, I was taught about the idea of tikkun olam. And it, you know, that's bantered around quite a bit, especially in the more liberal branches of Judaism. But to me, it really, it really took hold. And when I became a bar mitzvah, my, the theme of my drosh was how do we repair the world? And it was the portion at the end of the Torah where it's saying, hey, it's not so far. It's not up the mountain. Someone else has to do it. It's not across the sea. They're like, you can do it. And that's what I've been doing for the last 40 years. I've been trying to heal the world. And I did it for many years through the synagogue, through, uh, I, I was a rabbi in Encinitas, which is San Diego area, rabbi in Thousand Oaks area, you know well. And then I was an interim rabbi in different places, and always the theme of how do I make the world a better place? How do I bring healing to the world? And the last number of years, that's really been around how do I, how do I make the world better through relationship? How do I make the world better through relationship with self, but also relationship with other, and especially relationship with my partner or you with with your partner. So that is the story that brings me to today. I love it. And I think that really ties in perfectly with the theme of today, which the question I'm going to ask you is going to kind of be a general question. I, I actually am thinking back to this and I'm thinking that a lot of questions have very specific implications, right? Like we just came out with an episode called Why Can't Jews Touch Each Other? And as you can guess by that title, that's about Shomer Nagiyah. 
right? In this case, I'm going to ask you a question that's so general that we're going to have to somehow squeeze it all into 30 minutes. But okay. it's a challenge, right? And the question that this episode is based around is how do you have an awesome relationship? But looking into that, what does that mean, right? And to you, when you hear that question initially, what are you first thinking of? So there's the how to have an awesome relationship, but the bigger question is what is an awesome relationship? Yeah. That we're yeah. getting that? Yeah. So I think an awesome relationship is one that enlivens us. Mm. One that has, and this is any kind of relationship, right? I think we're really mostly talking about romantic relationships, but let's let's bring this out a bit more. My relationship with a friend, my relationship with other family members, it's something that enlivens me. That's how I know it's a powerful relationship. That's how I know it's, I think the word used was an awesome relationship. And that's the relationship that I want. And we can extend this out further. Right? We can take this into to sacred aspects. What's my relationship with the divine? It can even be what's my relationship with an organization. It could be a synagogue. It could be a club. It could be my school. It could be my team. Everything is, it, it's something that should enliven us, us. If it's taking more away, if it's, if it's creating dead spots in us, then we're probably in the wrong relationship. Or it could be the right relationship. We just haven't yet exercised the muscles we need to make it the powerful relationship that it could be. Sounds like it could be quite a challenge, especially balancing all these different types of relationships. There's the romantic relationships. There's the divine relationships. The first thought that came to my mind as you were talking as well, relationship with self, right? That also is one that, that to me, you know, speaks out. I was going through your neighboring home state, uh, Arizona Jewish. That's a, a website, Arizona Jewish, but they were talking about relationships with communities, right? Mm -hmm. That you pointed that out. And I just wanted to read out this one part, this one part where it said, like all relationships, we can expect that as our needs, priorities and interests change over time. So too will our relationship to the Jewish community. At one point, we may desire to develop our knowledge of ritual practices. At another, we may seek to fulfill a yearning for education, spiritual fulfillment and social experiences. So, I mean, like right now in my life as a YJP, right, a young Jewish professional, I find that a lot of my Jewish experience is based around the community gatherings, right? Sure. I was wondering, you know, right now in your world, what is most prevalent to you? I have a couple communities that I'm, I'm really feeling bound to. And this may seem, seem odd, right? From a rabbi, from someone who we're talking about Jewish stuff. One of my most important communities these days is my gym in the morning. Okay. And it's not just kind of your regular gym. It's they've really figured out how to create community there. And so it's the same, it's a class that we take every morning at six o'clock. And Love so it. people who are coming together, pretty much the same people each and every day and people that I ran into at the 4th of July parade yesterday or celebrated new year's Eve with. And so it, it can really be around anything, but I think the the important key here is it's people caring about people. Hmm. What are some of the ways that you show care? I, I think that that real care it comes from really being open and receptive. Hmm. Like there's so many times 
where we have conversations with people and, you know, we are here in conversation and either I'm looking over your shoulder at who's the next most important person coming up, or if I'm not physically doing it, my mind is in these other places. And so many of us do it, right? We're thinking about news. We're thinking about what I need to do next on my schedule. We're thinking about what I should have done before on my schedule. So one of the most important things that we can do to show that we care is really to be present. And that might sound super trite, Hmm. but when it comes down to it, how do we feel the presence of others? How do we feel the love of others? Mm. It's when we recognize that person is here with us. Right. And so often that's what's missing. And I think that's, you know, I think a wonderful contrast to, I think, the con the contrast to how we might interact with these communities on a regular basis, right? Oftentimes we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll recognize specific social dynamics that exist within communities and groups. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we will oftentimes experience the group very differently depending on who is there. Even if one specific person enters the room, that person now has that power to lighten up the entire room or to extinguish it, right? And I think that's such a powerful thing that we have to recognize. And that's the individuality that Judaism recognizes I've begun to learn recently. Sure. I mean, we all all carry something when we walk in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is, is super important to understand is that we cause ripples wherever we go. And one of the things I'm teaching my daughter is about ripples. She came home one day and I've been hearing it for a while. Was, had some judgment. She, she'd comment on people as they walked by. And so we started switching that. We started playing with it. And rather than, oh, let's comment on that person. Let's pick up on what happens when that person walks through the room. What are the ripples that are being created. So it becomes more of an observation, more of like what you might do in nature, right? If you go out into nature, you hear all the the birds chirping away and they're all saying, Hey, watch out. Someone's coming through, right? They're all talking to each other saying, you know, here's the, here's the stuff happening. Here's the ripples essentially that are happening. And if you sit quietly, eventually their voices will change. Stop making ripples, and I think we people do the same thing. We just don't pick up on the same way. People, especially, do it. So, so speaking about the the Jewish community, I mean, think about the last time you were sitting in shul, last time you were sitting in synagogue. Someone comes in late. Someone's davening or praying at a different speed. Someone is wearing whatever they're wearing, and just think about what are the ripples that are created. Hmm. One of the things I work on with people is recognizing the ripples and then also the practice of still being centered and grounded. Hmm. And when we're talking about relationships, right? that's where it becomes, especially romantic relationships, that's where it becomes super important. Absolutely. So how can I be at dinner with my wife, be aware of what's happening, right? the waiter walking by with the, you know, the flambe, the the flames, you know, shooting from the dessert, whatever that might be, and still be fully present with my wife. 
it's it's an incredible practice. It's almost a meditation. I think once you get into the groove of it, where you're now centered on that. And I know that's something that you are very good at teaching. You you your website tedwriter.com. You know, I, I was going through the site and looking at the different resources, and you have a lot of um, a lot of courses and group sessions that talk about intimacy, recentering yourself, really getting in touch with your partner on meaningful and I would say, you know, tapping into the 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 conscience that that we don't typically acknowledge that's there, right? From what I've been able to see, that's these are the things that I was picking up as I was reading through your site and looking at these different uh, the ways that you embrace intimacy. I think it's beautiful. Uh, in the Jewish world, of course, there is also its takes on intimacy as well, and I think that there's a very clear tie from your rabbinic days to now and what you're doing. So I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah. You know, I've been doing this work in different ways for 30 years, mm -hmm. but it's just evolved over the time. And one of the things that's really become clear is, is the whole work and the practice we can do around consciousness. Mm -hmm. And what I often hear from, especially women, is that uh, he keeps, he drops me. He keeps dropping me and not physically dropping but, um, but yeah, you know, we might be at dinner and all of a sudden he's looking at his phone over here hmm. right. or, or he said he was going to do something and then he forgot. And there's part of us that just hurts when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ouch. Like, and we know they didn't mean it. Right? They, they weren't, you know, sometimes they're malicious around it, but it's someone we love, right? They're, they, they have the best of intentions, mm -hmm. but we feel when they drop us. Right. Like, ah. And so there's training to do around that, just to be aware. It's an awareness practice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so much of Judaism is an awareness practice, right? That's why we have so many mitzvot. That's why we have rules around not the reason, but that's one of the the places within Kashrut. That's one of the places within Shomer Shabbos. It's one of the places within, you know, saying so many blessings a day. It's to really be conscious of where we are here at this moment. Right. Rather than fizzing out somewhere else. I, I love that. I love that concept. And I got to ask, so you brought up Kashrut, you brought up carrying out mitzvot. Is the only way to connect to the divine Hashem, however you want to just describe him, it, whatever, you know, is the only way to do that is to pray? No. Well, well, first of all, let's define prayer. Okay. Um, you know, most of us, I, I don't know. How are you defining prayer right now? Like you're asking me how book. I define prayer. Here's the prayer book. Let me read the prayer. Uh, I, I, I do that. I also will sometimes take extra time to reflect and, you know, a great tool that I was given really early in my Jewish journey is if you don't know any specific prayer off the top of your head, you can find three things to forgive and three things to find gratitude over. And that in itself is a prayer. So those are some of the ways in which I pray. I like to think anyway. So I think that, I think that answers your question. Sure. That's a more expansive understanding of prayer. And let me, let me take it even more. Okay. There, there is a, there's a place of prayer, which is, which is a resting, a resting into a, 
to a, a knowing. It's more of an experience of something greater than ourselves. One of the things that we often do within at least the liberal branches of Judaism is we teach, you know, here's the prayer. Read it or memorize it or sing it. You know, here's the, it's written out. Here's the prayer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're a little more advanced and we say, make your own prayer. Like, as you said, right, the three things perhaps I'm, I'm grateful for. There, there's a whole other level of experience of prayer that we often don't get to. Because we're often relegated to, we've got kids we can educate for a couple hours every week. And, and so let's just get the prayers that we need to get. And boom, we're done. But there's an experience of God as well that that's hard to teach and the key i think is giving people permission Hmm. so let's let's kind of unpack that okay when children are little they have no concept of this is how we pray this is not how we pray right little bitty right we teach them prayer we teach them theology, we teach them structure at some point, and they get to this place in their evolution and their education where they say, oh, things have to be, um, we have to be able to see things to prove that they exist, and they lose the sense of awe of just being. I mean, you think of a little bitty baby who's kind of looking at their fingers, right? It's just like, wow, fingers. <laughs> that's kind of the awe of being. I mean, that might be about themselves, but it's the awe. That's the awesomeness. And we we teach that out of most kids. I think it's part because parents are not so comfortable talking about it, and we don't really know how to do it. And there's a place, though, that comes along later of giving permission. Permission just to experience so permission to go out into the forest, right, as our ancestors did, mm-hmm. and be in the forest. Permission to go be in the waterfall. Permission even to be, I mean, you can do this in an urban area. You don't have to be somewhere you know, beautiful nature. Just just to, to be, to yeah, feel yeah. the air against your skin, right? to feel your heart pumping, yeah. to feel love being expressed and we can give ourselves permission at some point not just to feel those but to start recognizing that that too is prayer so life becomes prayer i absolutely love that and to relate to that i actually had an experience recently that was very much in line with everything you just said you Mm -hmm. brought up a waterfall well we were Mm -hmm. this is a pretty similar body of water we were i was i was actually just camping and i was there with a bunch of my friends and my girlfriend i was in sequoia national forest so we were on the outskirts of sequoia yeah where it was a little bit more deserty than foresty per se but it was still an amazing experience and um it was sunday which means that it was no longer shabbat and i wanted to wrap my tefillin before leaving sequoia (laughs) one of my favorite things to do is pray in nature when I first started wrapping to fill in and praying in the mornings and doing the Shema, 
I, my first trip right after my Israel trip was Alaska. So I got to do all these amazing prayers in nature with this amazing scenery behind me. And it was just this stunning experience, right? It was just breathtaking. Now, here I am in Sequoia. And I mentioned to one of my friends, hey, I'm going to go pray. Do you want to come with me? And they said, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. And so as they're coming with me, I asked them, do you want me to wrap you into tefillin? Do you want to read from the little um, pamphlet that I have that has the Shema on it? What would you prefer? And they said, I think I really just want to take some time to reflect. Mm -hmm. And I offered again, okay, no problem. But also there's a great way to pray. And that is you can always take three, three things that you want to forgive and three people you want to forgive and three things you want to be grateful for. And that also is a prayer. And they said, I understand. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But I'm going to uh, just reflect and take in this time for myself. And I said, sure, no problem. And so we both took in this moment in a very different way. And yet the same way in this, at the same time, where we're both standing there. And that person took the time to just sit on a rock and take in the power of nature as it was, you know, this river was snow melt. That was... Yeah had turned into a white rapid river. Kind of dangerous, by the way, if you were to step foot in it, because it would sweep you off your feet and take you along at 30 miles per hour in the water. Oh, uh, you're not going to tell me the virtues of cold plunges? Come on. <laughs> no, well, I did do some cold plunges during that. It was, it was freezing cold, but it was a great time. But I'll tell you right now, it's still as dangerous to go in that river. They took the time to center themselves and pray. And I took my time to center myself and pray in the more ritualistic, traditional way. Mm -hmm. And thus, those were both prayers. I realize now you've helped me see that. So thank you for that, Ted. Yeah. Can I give you one more? It, it's Please. it's the practice that that helped me connect. So so I I became a rabbi. I was ordained in ninety seven, and I, I had gone to rabbinical school because I wanted to heal the world. It was that that same theme. And maybe about six years after I was ordained, I realized I'm kind of missing a deep God connection. Hmm. And the Takun Olam, that, that felt divine, but like there's still like a personal thing missing. And I went and studied with uh, the Renewal Movement, Reb Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi's movement that was created you know, around him, and studied something called spiritual direction. Rashba. And one of the assignments we were given one day is called Hit Bodidut. And the way I was taught was that you go out into nature and you speak for 30 minutes. Just speak to God for 30 minutes. And then you listen for 30 minutes. And everything you hear, you write down. And there is, you know, there's a thought of, go of Oh, this is my this is subliminal thoughts. These are just memories. This is my own machinations going around. But you just write it down anyway. Stream of thought. Wow. Giving yourself the permission to understand that this is you listening to God. That was where I realized I had a real spiritual thirst. That's that's where I realized, oh, this is also prayer. It's the listening. I've never thought about prayer as listening, but is that only when you are connecting with the divine or is that also with people as well? That's a beautiful connection. 
in this case it's with a divine right and isn't that what we're finding in our partners aren't we finding the divine spark in them yeah yeah that's that's the beauty of relationship and, and again that's the beauty of the relationship that we have with a, a part a romantic partner mm-hmm. but in some ways that's the beauty of the relationship we have with everyone can i see the spark of the divine in them i have a regular habit of when i'm in line somewhere like grocery store or airport wherever i might be of envisioning the person who's standing in front of me as a spark can i see the spark of the divine in them and i try not to do it in a kind of creepy way staring at someone <laughs> but, but, but can i just can i feel the spark of the divine yeah in them yeah and when we take that into our romantic relationships mm. you know when i'm tired or frustrated or you know pissed off whatever i am can i ground myself for a moment enough to see the spark of the divine wow this person wow i i would say like what, what what you reminded me of when you just said that we talked about the spark and when you see it in your partner and this is from christian theology technically but the musical les mis mm-hmm. has this line at the end of the musical i'm not ruining anything but this line at the end of the musical that makes me cry every time i hear it mm-hmm. and it is to love another person is to see the face of god yeah. and that line always gives me chills and i think christian or not it's not really exclusively a Christian idea. I think Judaism has talked about that for some time now when it comes to spiritualism and love and intimacy. It does talk about that. It's very beautiful. Yeah. So thank God I have my partner. Her name's Kelly. She's beautiful. I really think she's amazing. And I oftentimes do feel that sense of, wow, I can see the face of God when I look at her. Like I feel that love. Yeah, It's an amazing feeling. It really is. So sometimes that's really easy. Right. Sometimes it is. Yeah. But it can be difficult too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we have to practice these things. Mm -hmm. When I I first met my wife, I recognized that I wanted to create this relationship from a place of practice. Mm -hmm. Just like we exercise any other muscle. It's going to be a practice. So does a practice, does a practice mean like a date or does a practice mean like define practice? A practice means like repetitions. I'm going to, I'm going to put in the reps. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Practice kind of maybe too vague for it. I'm going to exercise this muscle every day. So at easy times, yeah, I see the, the beauty in everybody but I exercise the muscle every day. So then difficult times, I can also see the beauty. That's why I stand in line when I could easily be frustrated by how slow the line is going. And can I see the beauty in the person in front of me? Then when those, you know, we're butting heads with anyone, can I ground, breathe, presence myself and see the beauty in 
right? So we, we practice these things when it's easy so that we can use it when it's difficult. Beautiful. Wow. Well, I think that's, I think that's absolutely amazing. I want to acknowledge the, the presence that, that you've had here on the show. I find it very unique in the sense that you've been very, you've been a very gentle teacher and yet you've taught some very groundbreaking concepts. And I really do appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I just want to acknowledge that. I think it's uh, very beautiful. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I have the, the link below for your website here, tedwriter.com. And I think uh, people can learn a lot from you and your wisdom and how you've taught it. I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast, for teaching us to have awesome relationships. I love the concept of being practicing repetition. And I love how you have described the different ways in which to pray. It's not just speaking, but it's also listening. I think that really meant something to me. And I really, I'm going to practice that more often. My pleasure, Jazz. Absolutely. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with this concept of having awesome relationships? I think the other one that's super important that that's um, equally with relationship is a practice. It's a daily reps that we put in. It's that we often get held back in relationship because of old stories. And the old story that's coming up might be about the person in front of me, but it might be about other people in my life who've treated me one way or another. And the most important thing we can do to have an amazing relationship is recognize when we need to let go of those stories. We need to recreate stories and see the person in front of us as, as brand new, even if we've known them for years. And that every moment, we talk about teshuva, every moment we have this chance to, to, re, to re-up, right? to, to clear this space. And part of that is letting go of those stories that are holding us back. That's one of my favorite things to work on. And it's those, it's it's the letting go of the stories, it's creating relationship as a practice, which I think makes for amazing, amazing relationships. Wow. I think that's a beautiful idea. And I think it's in that people should absolutely take the time to learn. And speaking of repetitions and taking the time to practice that, your classes at tedwriter.com provide the foundation and the groundwork to be able to help people get to that point. So I want to leave that link below. It is tedwriter.com. You can also follow him on his Instagram at tedwritertalks. And I want to thank you again, Ted, seriously, for being on this podcast, for giving your time, welcome, for sharing Ted. this beautiful prayer with us. And for those listening, thanks so much for listening to Bad Jew. Please do leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, and we will see you next time. Shalom. <laughs>